Welcome to the Fan Bros, the show where the bros are fans. Welcome, internets, to another episode of Fans. The show where the bros are fans or something to that extent. It's your boy, DJ Benjamin, a.k.a. the Anti-Trife Equation, a.k.a. Wakanda's favorite DJ, a.k.a. the Captain Kirk of the Spaceship. Here on Fanbro Show, the voice of the urban geek for all nerds, where we present geek culture from the perspective of people of color. And as always, I am joined by Tatiana King Jones, the Grandess of the Tech, also known as Deuce Piccolo, Colleen Wingstop, Blackness Everything, Chance the Parappa, and Trillquist. Mm-hmm. I love that trope whistle. Me too. Thank time. you so much for that every one. Every time. Yes, yes, for real. Love it, love it. Love everyone out there. Hope everyone is having a great week out there, living their best life, you know, enjoying this beginning, the end of spring, you know, beginning of summer. It's still feeling like spring in New York, but, you know, it's all right because we're going to It feel like spring, man. This is global warming at its finest. What is this crazy-ass weather? Why am I wearing full coat in June? Why? That's on you. I ain't wearing no full coat. I was walking around in a T-shirt today. I don't know about that. Well, when you get the pneumonia, don't say nothing to me. I won't. Um, yeah, but you know, it was a very big week, you know, in Geekdom this week because finally, after much anticipation, Wonder Woman dropped in theaters, made all the monies, got the critical acclaim. Mm-hmm. Over a hundred thousand oh excuse me, a hundred million this first yeah. uh drop week, yep. Yep, and like two hundred something million worldwide, so it's raking in the dough. Proving that films about women superheroes are viable, like as if it needed to be proved. But yeah, you know, no more excuses. Uh, I want to see that storm film being announced any day now. Ugh, okay, yeah, about that. Yeah, uh, but the only problem Fox has it, and I don't trust Fox. So what are we gonna do? I mean, we, we this all we got. We that's all we got. We got to accept that at this point. Fox owns it. You know, they pulled off Deadpool. You know, they're looking better lately. So, you know, we just got to hope for the best. That's all we can do. Because Fox ain't giving that up. Give that dream up. That's never happening. But anyway, yes, the Wonder Woman movie came out. I had my brief Twitter, uh, about two, three tweets on it because I wanted to wait until we did this episode to talk more about it. My all-encompassing reaction was Fire, Fire, Flame, specifically that it was well-paced. It was well done in terms of showing a more robust character on screen, particularly for a DC movie. Next to The Dark Knight, it was the best DC movie to date. That's how I personally feel about the matter. And if you don't agree, you can at me. But that being said, 
what I really, really appreciated about the Wonder Woman movie was that I felt that Gal Gadot, she really did embody what I personally believe to be the spirit of Wonder Woman. When I think Wonder Woman, my my first understanding is the cartoons because I, I've, I've strictly really been about animation when it comes to a lot of comic book characters. And particularly one of the things that strikes me as one of the, the, the most important qualities of Wonder Woman is the fact that she never backs down. The fact that she is up there scrapping with everybody. Not to say that she doesn't care, but she don't care. She goes all out for what she believes in, for what she loves. All that said, I was really, really pleased with the way it turned out and salutes to Patty Jenks. Like she really made this happen, made this work. I know there's some people out there saying, oh, well, you know, you're being a little bit too much calling this the savior of DC. But but honestly, let's let's give credit what credit is due. Regardless of whether you feel that the bar was low, Patty fucking went well above that bar. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen people say that, like, oh, you know, like, yeah, the bar was low and but the other films made money. I feel like it's not even about making money. We're talking about quality here. And to yes. me, by you saying that, well, the bar was low anyway, you are directly trying to dilute her win to me. Like, mm-hmm. to, to me, it's just like, I feel like you're just being contrarian by saying something like that. This was a great film. It doesn't matter if all previous DC films were good, if that even really happened. This film was a, a, an incredible film. Does it have its flaws? Absolutely. And we can get to, into that in, in a minute. But I just wanted to say that it, I really enjoyed it. Um, and I you know, I definitely would see it again. Yeah, I will see it again. I saw it again. Actually, I got to peep it again today. And, like, I thought, the, I was just so happy, like you said, the gal to go pulled it off. That was my first thing. Because I liked her in Batman vs. Superman, but I saw a lot of people still hating. There's a constant talk about how she's not big enough, blah, blah, oh. blah. She yeah. needs to eat a burger. All this dumb nonsense. And she killed it to me. Like, not only did she kill it, you know, like, I saw people saying her acting wasn't up to par, but she still managed to pull it off. No, like, she not did. She- like. I had no problems with her acting. Yeah, I had no problems at all. I thought, you know, her, I thought her and Chris Pine, this is probably the best job that Chris Pine has ever done, in my opinion. And still, stop trying to make Chris Pine happen. That's like, that was the, that's what killed me, some of the reactions from this, how now Chris Pine is the, you know, the best Chris of all the famous Chris's and blah, 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 and et cetera, et cetera. And Chris Pine, I mean, he was cool. It was, you know, he really did well for Steve Trevor. And I liked how they handled Steve Trevor overall. Wonder Woman's entrance to the world, when she comes on the no man's land and steps out of those trenches, that shit is iconic. Like, that's going up there with any of the great introductions of a superhero to man's world. Like, that shit was sick. You know, and then she comes in and whoops major ass. When she flips that goddamn tank over, is like, woo! Yeah! So, you know, I- like... <laughs> That was straight cartoon from the cartoon, man. Like, do you not see that? Yeah, so I'm all over from that. You know, I loved all of that. I even loved um, Dr. Poison. I'm not sure the general's name. I loved both of them. When they threw that damn grenade up in the room, and they were... Son, they're like, I was rolling. I was like, rolling. The, 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 but the mask doesn't work. Yeah, they don't know that. <laughs> I was rolling. Right. I was rolling. Um, yeah, like I said, there's some some very interesting, funny parts, and then there were the flaws of the matter. I'll okay. use I'll use what you just said as a jumping off point. That whole Doctor Poison, the other general situation, they were a little campy. 
Just yeah. a big campy. And, and I understand that for some villains, you want them chewing the scenery, all the other stuff. But <laughs> I, I think, but, 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 but I didn't, maybe because I just didn't really <laughs> care for them like that. I was just like, so, like, all right, you're being a little too extra for me. <laughs> That's a bit. And, and the whole, the whole diabolical, like Chico has said this one time, like you're over there, you know, rubbing your hands together. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm going to kill the little princess. Like that was, that was a bit whatever to me. Um, another thing I personally didn't like, and I understand because um, I've read what Patty Jenks had said about why uh, the the aspect of a love story was so important to her and why, um, you know, it, it is typically something that a lot of filmmakers shy away from when it comes to these hero movies. That said, me, myself personally, I think that whole lovey stuff is kind of corny in this context. Also, because I didn't never really like Steve Trevor to begin oh, with. So. I- you know I, Tatiana. You know how I feel about. Well, right, I know you don't really rock with him like that either. I didn't really care for that love story. Like I felt it was from 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 them, like just kind of learning each other. I thought that was genuine. But then the whole she basically went super sane because she realized, oh, love is the key. Like I just thought that was a little care bearish. So I wasn't really feeling that part. Um, that being said, it didn't ruin the movie for me. It was just a caveat that I was just like, ah, eh, I, I really could have done without it. Because I personally, again, this is my own personal projection. I, I found it a little bit cheesy. I The first time, like I said, the first time I saw it, I didn't catch that. Now, I definitely read um, Valerie Com- Val Complex and Son of Baldwin's review, which was definitely a great dissection of the film. I loved, you know, their back and forth on it. And that made me think about the fact that she does gain all this power, you know, goes super Saiyan. I, I myself... Was See, so I didn't even say that, that part. You did a spoiler. <laughs> uh, I, I, I got to say that because I was so happy that Steve Trevor got on the that I, <laughs> I, I couldn't even react to the fact that she got powered up off it because I was sitting there cheering like the whole yeah. read. Remember, she went through like a two minute long anime style flashback or flash in. I know. I think about I was, her love story that happened over busy, the course of two weeks. I was too busy clapping at her but. <laughs> So I, I couldn't I couldn't concentrate on anything else and I was just so overjoyed at that. All the, right. The other uh, the other flaw that I definitely want to mention was I really and I understand that for for the purposes of the movie she had to leave, I really really wish they stayed more time in Themyscira. Like that whole world and that island and the women on that island, I know some people didn't feel like there was a sisterhood there. I did. And I really, really was was highly interested in seeing the dynamic of that island and seeing that society come to life. I was so happy to see what I did see, but I just wanted to be there much longer than the movie allowed us to be. I agree completely there. And that's something that's not, I mean, it's shown in the comics, but of course the comics have a lot more time. But even yeah. in the comics, most of Wonder Woman is up outside of the Mysterio. Right, so right. And I, I understand would've... for her to grow as a person just, just outside of the confines of the Mysterio, she has to leave. And as a mm-hmm. movie, so you have very limited time, it has to happen. I just personally wanted to see a lot more. Like, I, I absolutely wanted to see those relationships with the other Amazons. Um, I mean, Artemis. Like, that shit, just all that shit was so tough. And the fight scenes, my God, I know some people thought like the slow mo and all that shit was heavy handed. Nas B, that was Batman Asylum style fighting. That shit was hard. I loved it. Yeah, no, I, I was. This is the one where I wasn't even mad at the slow motion. Yeah. Like I was tired Ultimate of it by Batman versus Superman and all that stuff. But in this one, I was feeling it. And like mm-hmm. you said, that fight scene with the Amazons and the soldiers invading was some of the sickest stuff. All of and that. It, uh, all of that. 
Now, we definitely got to talk about the Amazons, and a lot of people have been, you know, a little upset with how, let's say, diversity or inclusion, a better word, played out amongst the Amazons. Something I had to say about that is the fact that it's like, I understand when we put our real world like problems on the fictional characters, but especially when it comes to characters like the Amazons who are not like, they're not influenced by man's world. You know, they don't know what a mammy is. You know, they don't understand that black women are always brutish or whatever. So I didn't, and I understand that the filmmakers do understand these things, Mm -hmm. but it's like we start projecting things that just aren't there. Like when they're saying that, the one woman, the one black woman is so strong and tough. But there's like three or four black Amazons shown, if not more. And well, they- listen, let me let me let me dive into that just a little bit. So, yep. yes, I get what you're saying about um, maybe I know you feel that maybe people are, pro- are projecting more things than are actually than are actually happening. At the same time, you even answered it yourself. You you have to understand that, yes, Patty Jenks directed this, but also it was particularly mainly white men who wrote the screenplay. Yes. So regardless of how those particular characters will actually behave in their world from a, a narrative's perspective, it's still coming from the lens mostly of white men. So mm-hmm. if, no matter what, that is the as you mentioned, Mammy, uh um uh, Diana's uh, caretaker that is going to come into play it just like you cannot say that there you know that that people are imagining that type of thing because that absolutely has to come into play particularly when you're writing a story such as this and to be honest I personally believe the only reason why you did see the little bit of people cover that you did was because of the, the the people talking about it and being very vocal about it online and otherwise I not to say that, that there was no plans for any people of color but I really think that it was increased because of that or at least the scenes that we saw were featured more prominently than necessarily than then maybe they would have been unless people were vocal about it. So I understand when people say that. Mm, and I agree with you there. And that's one thing, like, if they had spent more time on the island, you perhaps sort of seen more, like, let's say, a uh, woman of Indian culture being an Amazon, you know, one of Spanish culture being an Amazon. Uh, Diana's best friend is mm-hmm. Asian, and she's listed in the credits, but she, I did not yeah, even I don't, see I don't, her. I don't recall seeing her. I don't recall seeing an Asian Amazon at all. That's not to say they no. weren't there. Whatever the case may be, yeah, I'm not really thinking that on that. I am going to still make note and be verbal about the fact that there was some stuff I saw that was definitely an issue for me. Yes, that was dope that there were maybe at least four black women. The fact that I can count them on my hand is, one, an issue. Two, yeah, they had a few lines in between them, maybe five, six lines in between them. That's great. One of them was a senator. That's awesome. You're showing a black woman in a higher position. At the same time, I'm still going to ask for more because it's not enough. And mm-hmm. I know there's that whole catch-22 of, well, when is it? When is it enough? It's it's not going to be enough until you have a full, robust body of representation in entertainment and in media, period. So regardless of the fact that I did see them, I'm not saying they weren't there. I'm saying that there has to that has to continue and that has to continue to grow across cultural lines, across uh, ethnicities and races and all that other stuff. Um, you had mentioned Artemis, for instance, the fact that people are saying, Oh, you know, she she came off she was just the the the, the tropey super strong woman, whatever. First of all, when you look at, you got to think of, of Greek history and shit like that, or, or mythology, Artemis was the goddess of the hunt. 
Mm-hmm. Like her whole purpose was to be strong and out there and, 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 and fast and cunning and all this other, all the other adjectives you associate with hunt and things like that. And she's a moon goddess. I mean, there's a whole bunch that goes into it. My point is there's sometimes, yes, there are things to your point, Ben, and I think that people are taking maybe a little too far, but also people are not crazy. And no, no, I, no. And let me not use the term crazy. People are not imagining things. Oh, no, no, no. You know me. I will always say that, you know, white supremacy and patriarchal society especially affects everything. And when you see that this movie's written by white men and it only has the one woman director, might have some women producers or something, but it's not, you know, it's still mainly a white man creation. You can see that all over the There's end no, There were no women writers. No, none at all. And so you see that all over the end result. But I do say that, like, it does become the problem of, like, one movie having to solve everything. Like, Spike Lee had to go through this back in the day. Like, every time he made a movie, black people would just jump up and be like, yo, why didn't you talk about this, Spike? You know, like, he did do the right thing. And they're like, yo, that's a great movie, Spike, but, yo, what about crack? You know, we all smoking crack right now. Like, you make him talk about that, Spike? And so then he has to turn around, and when he's making Jungle Fever, he has to throw this crack story into it that works but at the same time it's like the movie becomes bloated and that becomes a problem it's like there's not enough women directors there's not enough women superheroes so the one that comes out has to do everything for everyone and that's not gonna happen that's just not realistic that's my problem and that's what i'm worried about with black panther like black panther yo it's gonna have to go back in time and cure slavery because otherwise (laughs) people are gonna dog it like you know if it doesn't like go back in time and save martin luther king for being killed it's like it's gonna have serious problems like you gonna save tupac and biggie too Oh, I mean, it's got to. Otherwise, people would be like, yo, this movie's trash. You know? <laughs> like, what were they thinking? And and that's my problem, because Wonder Woman's a really good movie. Sure, it has problems. Sure, it doesn't, you know, solve patriarchal society. But it does a good movie and has a strong woman lead. Gal Gadot kicks fucking ass through the movie. Sure, you know, she goes Super Saiyan for Steve, whatever. That's some nonsense. But, hey. <laughs> We're going to get more wonder in our women. So I'm just happy, you know, congratulations to them, you know, job well done. And everybody talking, one last thing, everybody talking about like, uh, people are running around giving this movie too much praise. Man, fuck that. Fuck and, that. And, 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 and like, seriously, when they're like, when people sit there and talk about how, oh, you don't know about Ripley and Aliens. Oh, uh, you don't know about Ray and Rogue One. Fuck that. The last <laughs> superhero woman film was Supergirl. The movie. How many movies has Marvel made? How many movies has Fox made? How many movies has DC made at this point? This is the first. So I want to hear that. Like you're not you're not gonna count Catwoman. (laughs) You're not gonna count Catwoman. God damn it! (laughs) To to every woman out there praising this film, to everyone out there praising this film, keep on fucking praising this film. Keep talking about it. Go see it again if you want to. You know, don't worry about what people say. Dress up as Wonder Woman. Like, live your life. You know, enjoy this moment for real. Cause And don't let them haters ditch you down, man. And salute to Patty Jinx. Everyone involved. Like, just, mm. Word. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get that off my chest. That's okay. All right, we you know we got a lot more fan bros show lined up. This is another action packed episode, so stay with us. We're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Marjorie Liu, and when I'm not bitching about ex mocking of the movie, I'm listening to fan bros. 
This is Ta-Nehisi Coates, and when I am not reading Wicked and Divine or Darth Vader or Velvet, I'm chilling with the fan bros. Hello, this is Lexi Alexander. When I'm not on Twitter or kicking people to the head, I'm listening to Fan Bro Show. Should I try it without an accent? It'll never happen. This is Daniel Jose Older. When I'm not writing best-selling ass novels, I'm listening to the Fan Bros. Hi, guys. It's Alfred Woodard. And when you are not skiing, roller skating, skateboarding, punching people out, you should be listening to Fan Bros. The best people are. Okay, gotta go. Love you, love you. Bye-bye. Welcome back, fan bros. I know you've been enjoying this episode, but we are about to get it turned up in the spaceship. Once again, we have another stellar superstar guest in the spaceship tonight. We have Mr. Eric Haywood, who was born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He began his career directing music videos while still enrolled at the University of Milwaukee and moved to Atlanta and directed for, I mean, just pretty much everybody Worked on Soul Food as a writer, you know, did a lot of things. But nowadays, you can find him as a producer, writer, and director, a.k.a. one of the big dogs behind everyone's favorite show, Empire. Let's welcome Eric Haywood to the spaceship. What's up, fam, Bruce? Thank you for having me. Man, good to have you, Eric. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. I'm good. I'm good. All right. All right. All right. Well, you know... Starting off, I got to ask you, brother, you were one of the director of one of the greatest rap videos of all time, <laughs> Wrinkle Me, <laughs> featuring the great E-40 and Sugar T. Yes, and, yes. And, I mean, now you're a producer on Empire, so which is more of an accomplishment? Um, Wow, that's actually, I've never gotten that question before. <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, what's, what's funny, I mean, I, I would have to say just in terms of uh, long-term impact, on my career, <laughs> I would have to say uh, Empire hands down, but it it, it, it doesn't, it, it, it always surprises me that, um, and it shouldn't by now, uh, people remember uh, uh, some of the music videos that I directed, and this was back in like the, the mid to late 90s. So even projects that I may have, may not have thought about in literally in years, someone will find out that I directed one of them and they'll want to talk about it. And so I kind of have to say some of those music videos have had surprising longevity. I never would have thought that in 2017, I would still be talking about the E-40 video. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how. Right. I mean, because it's, it's classic. So since we're on that topic, what's your, your favorite and most memorable video shoot? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> the answer to that question probably would get me in trouble because the ones that you remember are the ones that don't go smoothly and, <laughs> and the, the, you know, the, the ones that go well, like one of the smoothest shoots that I had, I did a video, uh, for Goody Mob, uh, for LaFace Records that was also called Soul Food. Um, and that Ooh. shoot, that shoot is, is not memorable in a good way because nothing catastrophic happened. I remember it. But I remember it kind of uh, sparsely because there were no there were no catastrophes. I remember it as a very smooth uh, uh, experience. 
But it was a good experience because there were no problems. It just doesn't sort of like stick out of my memory. Um, I would have to say the, 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 the most memorable experience that I had on a music video was not one that I directed, but I actually uh, was the executive producer of. And it was a, a new edition video uh, for one of their last uh, projects. Mm. Uh, it was called You Don't Have to Worry from their Home Again album. Um, and it was one of those projects where uh, Murphy's Law took over. Like literally everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. And I, I but the but the good news, the, 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 the upside of that experience um, is that I went through the fire on that project and kind of came out the other side. So mm -hmm. a lot of the, the problems that I have encountered years later in my, in my television career pale in comparison to some of the things that went on in that project. So I feel like I survived boot camp and <laughs> I am now ready for anything that any production um, throws at me. So it's sort of a blessing and a curse. Okay, well, I mean, first of all, I got to say, like, Soul Food, that video is my joint. Thank I mean, you. Sprinkle Me. I'm not yes. a Soul Food, bro. It's, I mean, that's classic. But, I mean, you're kind of downplaying this, Eric. Like, you work with Cass, <laughs> Usher, Tupac. I mean, come on, man. Well, you know and what? You know what? This, I, 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 I promise you, it's, it's, it's not... It's not false humility. You know, I got into music videos uh, back in the 90s because my original career plan was to write and direct feature films. So mm -hmm. I always kind of saw music video, my music video work as sort of like on the job training as a director and also as a producer dealing with logistics and dealing with crew people and all that kind of stuff. So I always, not to say that I saw it as a stepping stone because it was a great career. I mean, I did it for a living. It wasn't, it wasn't a side hustle. It was my nine to five job for, for many years. Uh, but also there's the aspect of, um, you know, just with the passage of time, you know, some of those videos don't, uh, you know, they're not top of mind for me. Like I said, with the, right. with the E40 project, like I can, I can look back at it and love it and kind of feel proud that I, you know, uh, uh, directed it. Um, but just because it was so long ago that it, it, it may not be the thing that leaps to mind to me. Like, I don't want to brag about something that I did 15 years ago. You know what I mean? I, okay. I don't want to be that person, but I truly, truly appreciate the fact that, that um, uh, uh, people like some of those projects and still remember them uh, from, from back in the day. Right. Did you have any mentors that got you into um, you know, writing, directing, or was this just, like you said, I know this is something that you had did for your actual job, but a lot yeah. of people are led to, to these different places and often come from, you know, completely different zones. So I'm wondering, how did you get involved? Yeah, you know, I, I wish I had a mentor back in the day. I probably would have made a lot fewer mistakes back when I was um, uh, dealing with the music video world. But no, I actually didn't. I mean, I had, I had friends and peers who were also video directors and producers, and we would share, you know, we would swap war stories, and we would say, well, this record label does this, and this artist does that, so watch out if you work for them. But I never, I honestly never really had a bona fide mentor who took me under their wing and said, you know, this is what you do and here are the pitfalls and the things to avoid. I literally learned on the job by making every conceivable conceivable mistake that you can make <laughs> and then learning from them. And the thing that I always used to, to say, kind of half jokingly, but half seriously, I would say, 
about myself, you know, during those days, I would make plenty of mistakes, but I would never make my, the same mistake twice. Right. So if something happened uh, that went wrong, I would make it a point to learn from it and be able to see that problem coming in the future and be able to troubleshoot it and take care of it before it blew up in my face. Mm. That didn't stop something unrelated from blowing up in my face, <laughs> but then that, that became its own lesson and I would you know, not make that mistake a second time. So, so, so yeah, I, I didn't have the, cause I, I you know, I, like you said, I was, um, I was born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. There was no, you know, like genuine film industry or music industry uh, in in, in uh, Milwaukee. So there was no one for me to sort of gravitate towards and say, hey, teach me, you know, how to survive in this business. So I literally just, I literally went to Kinko's one day and, and printed up some very generic black and white business cards that said Eric Haywood, director. And I pounded the pavement looking for some independent artists who mm. had some money to, you know, uh, put into a music video. And, you know, one project led to another. I built a director's reel. And then that started, you know, uh, that really launched me when I started doing uh, uh, projects for, you know, more nationally known artists, you know, MC Breed, Too Short, KRS-One. It sort of began to, to snowball. But I always had my eye career-wise on wanting to use all that I was learning from that ex those experiences and put, putting them into, into making movies. And then along the way, uh, towards, you know, striving towards that goal, I end up getting sort of sidelined into writing for television. Right. And out of, my, out of, out of uh, being just sort of like young and naive, uh, I was like, well, I'll just do this little TV writing thing for the moment until my, you know, my big time feature film career finally, you know, jumps off and then I can do the thing I always wanted to do. And then I ended up falling in love with, with TV, right. with, with, with writing and, and the whole process and, you know, sort of, sort of made it my, my main thing. Why do you love TV so much? You know, once again, I'll, I'll, here's the here's the comparison that I discovered uh, between TV and film. You know, when you when you make a, a, a an individual film, you have roughly ninety minutes to two hours to tell basically a single story. Right. When you're and I, I realized this when I was when I began writing for for, for Soul Food, which was my first television writing job. When you have a season of television that is 10 episodes or 12 episodes or 18 or 22, you know, that's 10, 12, 18, 22 hours of, of content that you have to write and produce every season. So, you know, 10 episodes roughly is the equivalent of doing five movies if you're doing an hour long drama. Right. So so the, the, the writer in me really responded to the challenge of, OK, well, you can do one movie in two hours and that's great. I'm not by any means, you know, uh, putting that down. But when you're writing on a TV series and you're on season five, episode 11, and you've burned through all your cool ideas in the preceding seasons, you have to still dig deep to come up with new, uh, fresh mm -hmm. ways of telling stories with those same characters. And that challenge, I really sparked to very, very early on in my, in my TV career. Okay, well, speaking on that, and like now you're working on Empire, and you're yes. working on a show that has these moments, like, <laughs> you know, I mean, in one season, you got Cookie in a gorilla suit, right. you know, and like she's also... <laughs> 
<laughs> beating her son with a broom. Yes. It's like, how do you top these moments and how do you, how does the writer's room work where you continue to top yourselves? You know, it's tricky because there's a, there's a, a, a tightrope that we walk in the writer's room. And by that, I mean, a lot of these moments that you're talking about, like Cookie, you know, beating Hakeem with the broom or <laughs> Lucius putting Jamal in a garbage can, like all those sort of like yeah, memorable. Yeah, that was so sad. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. Oh, all oh those, my God. All those memorable, iconic Empire moments usually aren't done just for shock value. They are born from character. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like, you know, you know, Cookie opening up her her fur coat in front of the whole family and flashing her lingerie, you know, um, is a is a moment is, is, is a, a move that only Cookie could have made. You know, Anika never would have done that. Nobody else would have done that. It was only her and only under those circumstances. So we try to find we try to find moments that are shocking or funny or cool or interesting but but first and foremost it's like you have to keep on and this goes back to what i was saying about the the film versus tv thing not by any means to pit the two against each other but but you have to figure out you know what is is interesting about jamal that we haven't already explored and you know so we spent a lot of time you know exploring these characters figuring out who they are and then those shocking moments or the cliffhangers or the twists are usually you know a uh, uh, grow naturally from understanding who the people are as opposed to let's find a shocking moment and then figure out a story or a character to assign it to because that's sort of like the backwards way of uh, of going about it and then you can burn yourself out because if all you're doing is trying to shock people right. as opposed to flesh out your characters i think you have a you have a, a much uh, um higher tendency to burn yourself out right and i and it's also not genuine because you know exactly. you, you yeah. just, you're just constantly trying to hit a goal line that's always going to be moving because if you know exactly. if you're doing it right your, your characters are going to evolve and then thus your writing needs to evolve so you so it's exactly. like you're kind of running a losing game but but yes. but something i wanted to talk about particularly about empire is the fact that it's now it's been here and it's and it's considered you said it already iconic it's considered a massive cultural phenomenon and to the point where you like we saw it dip into the real world we have the the album that has come out and that was actually making numbers on the charts then you saw yes. songs like that drip drop song in yes. the actual club <laughs> so yeah. when yes. that when all of that happens like how does that make you feel it, you know, one of the one of the the best things about you know nowadays there are five thousand different channels and five thousand different TV networks and hundreds and hundreds of TV shows that people have to choose from. Whether they watch live, whether they DVR it, whether they wait for the series the the season to end and they binge watch it, whether it's Netflix or Amazon, what have you. So to 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 be a part of something that has managed to cut through all that noise. I don't, noise is probably the wrong word. Uh, all that volume of, of, mm. of choice mm. that people have is, is kind of amazing. You know, like the idea that people actually go out, people skip choir rehearsal so they can rush home on Wednesday night right. to watch <laughs> something that we were in the room, try, in the writer's rooms, you know, six months earlier, trying to, to flesh out and write is, is a gift. You know what I mean? It's like it's 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 great to have a job and a steady paycheck, but there are plenty of people who work on shows and they work just as hard as we do 
on Empire, I guarantee you. But for whatever reason, you know, it's 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 you know Empire's moment in the in the in the spotlight. So there's an awareness that you know some of the things that we come up with and that we put on the air are going to to resonate. They're going to be talked about. In some cases, they're going to be written about. People love it. People hate it. People love to hate it. People hate to, you know, you have the whole spectrum mm-hmm. of, of reaction. And the worst thing I think for any creative person to have to deal with is indifference. You mm. know, like you don't, you don't want to bust your ass on something and have nobody know that you even did it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, so, so, so whether they love it or hate it, it's like the, you know, at, at the, the, the biggest gift of all, I think for empire, for me at least, is just working on something that I know is going to be seen and people are going to, you know, have one opinion or or another about it. So I honestly, and I say this all to myself all the time, just to to keep my, my feet on the ground, I honestly don't expect to ever be associated with anything quite this big uh, that came, you know, kind of out of nowhere and became a phenomenon. You know, I may work on successful shows in the future, but this kind of, 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 uh, response from the audience, um, literally around the world is, is not the kind of thing you can plan for. You can't bank on it. You just swing for the fences and hope that you get, you know, uh, uh, some kind of response from the audience. So I think it it continues to exceed everybody's wildest expectations. So it's, 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 it's a trip. Honestly, the show it, it shows some things that are are nice to see. Like we mentioned how there's a fabulously wealthy family. You see they get right. to do all sorts of things. They run their own company. It's handed right. down through the family. So now we're talking about black wealth. But then right. there are plenty of people and critics who say, you know, Empire shows too much of the wrong side of, of black America. So what do you say to that? The wrong side of black America. How, how are we defining the wrong side of black America? To them, <clears throat> when people say that, they believe it's just too much negativity. When mm-hmm. I see Empire, I see it more like a, a deliberate soap opera. Like, it's supposed to right. kind of be outrageous in certain ways, right. and it's also supposed to tackle some real issues. At the same time, right. there's some people who feel that uh, it's too it shows too much negativity, i.e. Mm-hmm. Cookie hitting her son with the broom. Right. Well, <laughs> once again, it's like... You know, the the you know, that's a moment that happened in the pilot that was that was written by, you know, our co-creators, Lee Daniels and and Danny Strong. Uh, I can't put words in their mouth, but I have heard them say on on numerous occasions uh, that, you know, there is a there's context for a moment like that. You know, Hakeem, once again, Hakeem grew up incredibly wealthy and spoiled. He literally did not know who Cookie was from a hole in the wall. Because she had just gotten out of jail. He, Hakeem was a baby when she went to jail. So now she gets out. She wants to slide right back into the motherhood role and assert her authority. And the two of them come into conflict. And Cookie, you know, from all that we know about Cookie, is not the kind of woman. She's, she's not the kind of black mother who's, who's going to have that. So there are people who love that scene because there are plenty of you know, young black people who get a little bit out of pocket with their parents. And then there are also people who hate it because they just see it as as violence for violence's sake. But I feel like, you know, if you take the scene like that in context, Mm -hmm. there's a reason for it. Once again, it's not just there for shock value. It's telling you a lot about who these people are and how they relate and in some cases don't relate. The idea is that black people have to make entertainment that says something about the condition of African-Americans in America. You know, and they just can't make entertainment for entertainment's sake. So do you feel that that's true? 
I feel that people try to make that argument, and I always push back against it. I feel like we should we should have the right to make entertainment for entertainment's sake, just like anybody else. You know, it's like I love Game of Thrones. Right. Love this since since episode one. Have not missed an episode. Can't wait for the next season. You know, when 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 Jamie and Cersei Lannister had sex in the crypt next to their <laughs> next to their next to their uh, uh, dead son's corpse, who oh, was God. conceived through incest, there was no outcry about what did this mean for the white community. Right? Why is this a, <laughs> why is this a bad reflection on on white America? And that's because uh, it's a you know you have you know a billion other shows to, uh, with pr- predominantly white cast, and you get a full spectrum. So a moment like that, as shocking as it is, isn't interpreted as meaning anything more than this is just these two characters in this one moment on this one show. But when 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 Lucius, you know, uh, shoots someone in the face, all of a sudden it's not just that one character in that one moment on that one show. It's in, it's it's extrapolated into, well, it, it must mean something right. uh, for the state of black America. And it's like, well, no, you know, like, like Lucius, I mean, you know, you look at, you look at Tony Soprano, you know, which, and that show has, I guess its share of, of, of criticism for some people felt like it, it dabbled too much into stereotypes, but still, you know, Tony Soprano was considered an iconic character. He's not, he's not considered someone who has to carry the entire burden or be an accurate three-dimensional reflection of you know white america or italian americans in general right and i feel like you know a show like empire or any other black show should be given that same courtesy right and that and that's fantastic you said that because one reason or another is 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 taken as representative of the entire culture and then we get into this whole monolithic view of how black people are supposed to be how asian people are supposed to be how native people are supposed to be right and yeah, and I think I think one of the one of the greatest sort of like benefits that, that uh, of the the sort of state of television right now is you don't just have Empire, you know, you have Blackish, you have Queen Sugar, mm-hmm. you have the Quad, you have you know you have Greenleaf, you have you know you can go on and on and on, and it's like if, if Empire isn't your jam, then maybe something else maybe something else might be. And maybe something else is not, you know, your style and Empire is your favorite show, but we have a a growing spectrum of of shows and they all have a different sort of take on on black life. So, you know, I feel like we're getting to the point, hopefully, where we can sort of fall back from this this position of saying that any one show or any one character or any one scene has to uh, 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 stand for more than just, you know, what it is. One of the characters I wanted to talk about was Jamal because he's part of a litany of topics that Empire speaks on very well, particularly um, topics that for one reason or another are still a problem in the black community mm-hmm. in America. Um, where we come to strong gay characters, when we talk about um, mental health um, and actually getting help and talking to people, things like that. Like a lot of stuff that for one reason or another is taboo. You guys actually do it very well. You have, you are very adept at talking about it and bring it to the forefront during the show. So when you guys have been, we're developing Jamal's story and developing really all the son's stories. 
what what's what's been kind of the most important thing that you you've wanted people to get out of it? Well, you know, I have to get once again, I got to give credit to to Lee and Danny, because a lot of those issues, it was very important to them that the 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 some of these social issues were were, you know, uh, explored in the show because they were a lot of them were baked into the pilot, you know, Jamal's sexual orientation. uh, uh, It's very subtle and discreet, but you can see in the pilot there's a scene where Andre's in bed and Rhonda brings him some pills. Andre was on his meds because he's bipolar. So that was something that was, that was planted in the pilot that we then began to explore the topic of his mental, mental health, health issues later in the series. So it's always been important. Um, We always take it very seriously, but we always also keep in mind that these are the kinds of things, once again, where you're never going to please everybody. There are people like I'll get on Twitter because the, the writers will typically live tweet um, on nights when the when the episodes air. Mm-hmm. And I remember, uh, I forget the exact episode, but we were there was an episode where we were, de- we were, we were dealing with, um, you asked about Jamal, but I'm going to speak on Andre just, just really quickly. Um, we were dealing, we had a story dealing with um, Andre's mental health issues. And I'm looking at the tweets kind of scrolling by on TweetDeck, and I will never forget one person, I, forget, I have no idea who it was, one person tweeted, uh, uh, Empire completely, this is a, Andre, the way Andre is depicted on Empire is exactly like my sister who was bipolar. Empire totally nailed it. Hmm. Right, right below that tweet was another person who says, this is, <laughs> this is absolutely nothing like how my cousin who's bipolar is. Empire <laughs> is fucking up. But and so 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 and people literally side by side and and all you can sort of do is sit back and say you know what once again you know you trying to please everybody and trying to make these characters into the standard for each individual person's experience in the real world is is a losing proposition. So just that that attempt to make things balanced is I, I hope goes a long way towards, you know, um, just shedding light on some of these things. And, you know, there are people, once again, there are people who embrace that and respect us for it. And then there are people who are always like, I love Empire, but I wish they would cut back on the gay stuff. (laughs) We hear that constantly. And it's like, well, no, this, it, it, it comes with the show. It it is ingrained in the DNA of the show. Like, please. Yeah. Exactly. So, so once again, I, I never, none of us consider Jamal being a stand-in for every gay person's experience ever. Right. Um, he is one individual character and dealing with a particular set of circumstances, and we try to to honor that in the in the storytelling. What is it like being in a writer's room? Can you describe that process to us? Um, yeah. Let's see. Well, basically, I think we have. I may get this number, this exact number wrong. We have about eleven writers on staff, um, plus our showrunner Eileen. I believe the staff is fairly close to a 50-50 split between men and women. Um, we have uh, people with various levels of, of experience in the business. Um, and we work, you know, Monday through Friday, generally uh, 10 in the morning until 6 at night. And basically, uh, uh, you know, you come in in the morning and the showrunner says, here's our agenda for the day. We're going to work on the Hakeem story for this particular episode. And this is the kind of story that we want to tell. 
the showrunner oftentimes will then leave because she has a million other things to 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 contend with, other episodes that are you know you know in various stages of production, um, uh, edits coming in, uh, casting deals to negotiate, who knows what. So mm-hmm. the writing staff is basically left you know to its own devices, and we basically have a free flowing open debate about that that basically is a series of what ifs. Like, well, what if Hakeem did this? Well, then if Hakeem does that, then well, then what if this happens as a as a result? And we just kind of go back and forth and back and forth. Well, I don't I don't like that idea, but I think there's something in it that we can take in this direction that makes it work better. Mm. And it's a very collaborative, best idea wins kind of free flowing exchange of ideas. The room is covered with um, with whiteboards. We have a writer's assistant who will jot down all these ideas um, on the board so everybody can look up at them and reference them. And you basically will take a story and you will come up with uh, each the, the, the idea for each individual scene in that story. Um, you do that for each story in an episode. So you may have three, four, or five separate storylines that then the showrunner comes back to the room and you say, okay, here's the Hakeem story. Beat one, blah, blah, blah. Beat two, then this happens. Beat three, then that happens. And you then, you know, you go through that whole story. Okay, here's the, the cookie story. Beat one, cookie does this. Beat two, cookie does that. And you do that same process for each individual story. And then right. you get feedback. You know, the showrunner, and this happened. This is not unique to Empire. This is pretty much how the vast majority of, uh, of TV shows work. The showrunner hears those ideas, pitch mm-hmm. to them, and they'll say, I like this. Don't change a thing. I hate this story. Start from scratch. Mm-hmm. This story is pretty good, but take the second beat and move it to the top and cut the first beat. And, you know, they'll give feedback and then you'll go back and they'll leave again. And you go back to work and you apply those instructions and you basically restructure the story based on the, the feedback you got. I appreciate that you're sharing this because the, the whole term writer's room, a lot of the different terms used in the industry are very nebulous. And a lot of people ask us, they want to know from an actual person who's in there, like what right. goes on in there. Yeah, one of the things that I, I really enjoy doing is sort of demystifying the process because I've been doing this for so long. A lot of this is second nature to me and I do it with people who do it for a living. So it's second nature to them also. So it, it's, 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 it's easy for me to lose sight of the track uh, of the fact that the average person doesn't know the, the process or the steps that we all sort of take for granted. So anytime anybody wants to ask me a question, like just the other day, someone asked me, uh, 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 what is the pay cycle for TV writers? I'm like, oh, it's weekly. Like that's something that everybody who works in this side of the business knows, but someone who doesn't, you know, if they ask, I'm happy to share, you know, uh, that information because, um, one of the things that Hollywood does very well is hide behind smoke and mirrors. Oh yeah. They really seem to like keeping the process mysterious and making it almost seem inaccessible. So, you know, what little I know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to share. Well, speaking of inaccessible and, you know, various levels of, you know, uh, experience, <laughs> how could, you know, the fan bros apply to be in one of these writers' rooms? <laughs> hey, we should have a shot. <laughs> there are actually a number of different ways. First and foremost, and this is pretty much true across the board, um, you know, Hollywood, like I'm assuming a lot of other industries, works um, off of relationships. So, 
you know, there are people who have helped me along in my career as, you know, and, and not just because they felt that I was a good writer, but because there may have been a relationship with someone that I had for years. And then finally they, they hear of an opportunity and they say, hey, let me hook you up with this person or connect you with this show. Um, you know, and the, and the same thing goes for Empire. I'm constantly flooded by people. Here, here's the, 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 <laughs> the tricky thing about working on a show like Empire, because, because of its visibility, and because it's a music-driven show, I get people wanting to, you know, join the writing staff. They send me their SoundCloud links, and how can I get my music on the show? Oh, oh you get mixtape <laughs> requests, of course. It doesn't work that way. So you do get inundated with, with requests. I'm happy to share information. When it comes to the actual hookup process, it's a little bit trickier. Like, if I've known someone for five years and I've read their, their writing work, it's a lot easier for me to recommend them if I hear about an opening on this show or, or any other show that they may be a good fit for. But when someone tweets me out of the blue and says, hey, can I be on Empire? Like, I don't even get a hi. I don't even get a hello. <laughs> I don't, I don't get what my name is. I just, you know, they just go right for the, right for the gusto. And I'm just like, well, it's very easy for me because you have to have some, some degree of filter, you know, so the people who just bombard you, if I tried to honor every single request, I would literally not have enough hours in the day to get anything else done. But I will say this, because I, I gave someone else this information. Um, there are a handful of what are called uh, TV writing, um, well, they're called TV writing programs. In some cases, they're called TV uh, writing fellowships. Uh, ABC Disney has one, uh, Fox has one, uh, CBS has one, Warner Brothers Studio that produces a lot of TV shows uh, has one, and I'm probably forgetting at least one or two. But basically, you just have to Google them, and you, there's an app, they're, they're all uh, annual, year-long uh, uh, programs, and what they do is, they take people who have not broken into the industry. Um, if you get accepted into these programs, uh, what they're they're basically training programs, and mm -hmm. they they sort of like you know help you get prepared for a career as a working television writer. Mm -hmm. They introduce you to other network executives, other showrunners. They help you find representation in some cases if you don't already have it, and in a lot of cases they help place you uh, on an actual. Uh, uh, on the staff of an actual show. Um, so it's a, sort of a long, winding road, but it's a bona fide way into the industry if you don't know someone who is in a position to basically just tap you on the shoulder and, and hook you up. Okay, okay. Well, you know, we happen to know someone right now, so we'll talk more on that you know, <laughs> a, 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 after the show. You know, we'll, we'll speak more about that. Well, stay in touch, and then in five years, you send me your pilot, and then we'll, we'll, we'll build on the relationship. Five? Yeah. Come on, bro. <laughs> Eric said, don't play me. He said, I cannot be played. <laughs> you had mentioned earlier that um, and you have already, but you, you wanted to write and direct some feature films. So what's, what's next for you? What's next for me? Um, well, hope, well, I just actually, uh, earlier this year, uh, uh, renewed my, uh, contract with Empire. So I'll be here and I'm, I'm, you know, proud to be a part of it. Um, and like everybody else, like every other writer in, in Hollywood, in addition to the show that I work for. Mm -hmm. Monday through Friday, you know, I, I have my own projects that I hope to get off the ground one day. I, I have a pilot that I um, that I wrote 
uh, that I'm very pleased with that that my agent and manager are are trying to, to shop around town. It's a little bit tricky because once again, my first uh, uh, obligation is to to Empire. Right. So if if it gets sold, I can't just quit the show and then go do my own thing. But it may lead to some other opportunities down the road. Uh, but the long term goal is is to um, uh, create uh, my own shows. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, Eric, you've survived the interview segment of Fanbro Show, okay. and it's now time for the rap segment, the rapid fire <laughs> questions. All right, let's go. All right, so I don't even have to be ready. Right. Well, well, <laughs> yeah. well, here's the thing: I've listened to several episodes of the show, so I'll, oh, give, you, okay. I'll give you full disclosure. Unless you've changed the questions, which you may have, <laughs> I, I, I feel like you know I'm, I'm moderately prepared for for this portion. So, so let's let's go. Yeah, we, we like the people who come in prepared, so okay, let's good. do it. We're yeah. going to flip it All on right. you, though. Okay, <laughs> yep. Falcon or War Machine? Uh, Falcon. Okay. Magneto or Professor X? Oh, Magneto, hands down. Why? Mm. You know, I like the idea of, generally speaking, in fiction, you know, people always say this, the quote-unquote bad guy is always more... It generally tends to be inherently more interesting than the good guy, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, uh, to take it a step further, you know the 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 villain, the quote unquote villain, who doesn't see himself as a villain, is even more interesting than that. Like I think that that uh, Magneto taking the position of like, well, yeah, we are kind of superior to to the average you know uh, 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 human being, uh, and feels justified. And doesn't you know want to be subjugated makes him a much more interesting character than the guy who was just wants to you know blow up the planet. Mm. Mm. All right, all right. That's, that's a great one. You didn't go for the typical Malcolm and Martin, so I like that. Oh, I'm, I'm so right. sick of that that analogy. So yeah, that's, that, <laughs> I've been, I've been, I'm, I'm a hardcore Marvel fan from for uh, for life. So yeah, I've, I've heard the Malcolm and Martin analogy done to death. Okay, okay. So you are prepared. Yes. All right. Luke Cage or Black Panther? Oh, now this one is tough. I got to go Black Panther uh, only because, by, by, a, by a hair, mm-hmm. by, a, by a slight hair, only because I uh, am, like everybody else, eagerly anticipating the movie. All right. Okay. All right. Between the two, choose one. Okay. Dave, Dave Chappelle's print skit or Rick James skit? Ooh, ooh. Um, well, once again, by a hair, I will go with Prince, uh, only because, um, once again, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a, a lifelong Prince fan, so mm-hmm. the, uh, the, I love the Rick James skit, but <laughs> I, 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 gotta, I gotta go, give, if I gotta pick one, I gotta go with Prince. Mm-hmm. All right, I feel you on being a lifelong Prince fan, yes. so. All right, The Wire or Breaking Bad? Breaking Bad. Wow. Why? Um... Oh, this is gonna get me in trouble. So you, <laughs> you, 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 y'all can go ahead and tweet me. I mean, I, I, I gotta just deal with it. But I just, I was never able to get into the wire, and I'm gonna say it, and I'm gonna say it with my chest, and be proud, and out, and say that I totally respect what the show is, and I respect its its loyal fans. Um, I just never really responded to it. I tried twice to you know get through the first season and couldn't do it uh breaking bad i just happen to love on on every level so that for me that's an easy choice wow that that is man you are definitely breaking the mold on yes. this choice right now <laughs> i love it okay lex luther or dr doom 
Um, Doctor Doom, only because uh, I'm I'm pretty much Marvel for life. So uh, Doctor Doom gets it by default. Okay. Okay. Speaking of geniuses, has Terrence Howard ever explained his new math to you? Oh, Lord have mercy. This is a question that I was not prepared for. He has not, but um, I remember reading, I think it was a Rolling Stone interview that he did maybe a year yes. ago or so. Yeah, so so I read that. Uh, that is the closest I've come to uh, uh, having to have a, a uh, new math lesson. Oh, I see. You just you just not asked him personally. Oh no, no, no! I, I have not. I haven't. And you probably won't. <laughs> I don't really see it happening. I think I'm pretty comfortable with with the the existing math that I was you know brought up uh, learning. So so I'm good on I'm good on addition and subtraction. <laughs> All right. Ooh. Okay. That was awesome. Um, Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars or Star Trek? Uh, Star Wars. Um, easy. Uh, big Star Trek fan, Star Wars, uh, when I first saw episode four as a kid, uh, it changed my life. And that's what made me fall in love with movies. Um, mm. So so uh, that's been been my joint uh, since I was a, a little kid. Nice. But I am I am I will say I am eagerly uh, awaiting Star Trek Discovery. Yes. 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 Even I am. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For real. Don't mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's your favorite Wesley Snipes movie? Favorite Wesley Snipes movie? Um, I'm going to go with Passenger 57, but he stole <laughs> Mo Better Blue. So even though it was a Denzel Ooh. movie, I'm a, I may have to, you know, bend the rules and go and go Mo Better. He, he did steal it he from did. Denzel. He did. And yes. that's, not a, that's not an easy feat. Not at all. No. And he does it. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Man. Man. Yeah. In any medium, movies, TV, film, what character death hurt you the worst? Character death hurt me the worst. Um, who? I forgot about this question. Um, <laughs> okay. So, okay. I'll tell you. This is the one. And uh, when I was very, very young, um, my my uh, mother was born in a small town in Louisiana called Lake Charles. So we would go there frequently. Oh, and I know Lake Charles. Do you really? Okay. Yeah, um, man, I'm from Houston. Yeah, all right, I all right. Lake Charles. Um, yeah. There was a little uh, uh, pharmacy that I would walk to um, when we would go down to, to visit my relatives down there, and they had a little comic book rack. And one day I grabbed an issue. I think it was like a Justice League, um, and it was when... Earth 2 Batman died. He died in a fight. Mm. And and on the cover of the issue, this sounds silly in in hindsight, but I'm about to describe, but you know, they showed the, the cover was the funeral scene. So they show Batman in full costume laying in the casket. And like <laughs> and like all the other members of the team are standing around the service and they're all, you know, obviously uh, uh, grieving. But, but I bought the, the comic book and I wasn't at all clear on the whole concept of Earth 1 versus Earth 2 versus all the other Earths in the DC universe. I just knew this was a story about Batman who died because I always thought that comic books were just for escape and fantasy and fun and they fucked around and killed Batman. 
and gave him a funeral. <laughs> I didn't understand it. Like, how does that happen? How? So, so, so it messed me up to the point where I actually, you know, just recently, like maybe like a year ago, I went looking for the issue and I found it on eBay and I bought it. Just because oh. I, I, I wanted to have that little piece of, of my childhood. But, but I think it was probably more a function of, of how young I was. I don't remember how old I was, but I was very, very young um, and didn't necessarily like fully, like I barely probably understood the concept of, of dying in the first place, but I damn sure didn't understand it in the context of a superhero. Indeed. Oh, man. Yeah. All right. Comic books or hip hop? One got to go from reality completely. What? No. Come on. Comic yep. books or hip hop? <laughs> yep. Ooh. Yep. Huh. There's no good answer. So I'm going to say. <laughs> there is none. Ooh. I'm going to say comic books, but I don't even know if I believe that. I'm going to be thinking about this question when, I, when I'm driving home. Uh, I'm going to say comic books. You, you got to have hip hop. You got to have it. Mm hmm. All okay. right. Understandable. Who is your one favorite Marvel character? One favorite Marvel character. Or your um, most favorite. You know, I've, I, like a lot of people, gravitated towards Wolverine. Um, I was a huge, huge, hardcore X-Men fan when I was, I was a, a very avid uh, reader and collector when I was in my teens and then kind of fell away from it. Um, in, in my 20s and 30s. I'm just kind of now circling my way back to it. Um, but he was always uh, uh, one of the most... And this is what I said. It just sort of reminds me about what I was saying earlier about how a lot of people could, could view Wolverine as a bad guy because he was a loner and he was anti-authoritarian and he was sort of savage at times. But he, he still gravitated towards the 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 quote unquote good good guys which gave him a lot of of depth um and he was just cool you know the claws and the weird haircut and the fact that you know he was he was short and people always people were always making cracks about his height like right. he, he he seemed like a very well fleshed out character that I, I never got tired of and probably never will. And uh, matter of fact, I just bought the, the Logan Blu-ray a couple of days ago. I loved the movie when I saw it um, and uh, can't wait to watch it again. All right. For real. No, Logan was that. Oh, man. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I loved it. I, I, I've, I haven't even been able to watch it again because I'm just not, you know, I'm not emotionally prepared for that. Yeah. Well, yeah. somebody spoiled uh, the 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 day that I was uh, set to go see Logan, mm. oh, no. and somebody spoiled somebody spoiled those two major deaths uh, <gasps> that happened mm. in the story. Oh. It was still great, but I wish I just hadn't yeah. hadn't had wow. that one. I'm, I'm very I'm very spoiler phobic. Some people don't mind spoilers. Um, I prefer to steer clear of them nine times out of ten. Um, but uh, but yeah, but I still was able to uh, to really enjoy the film, and uh, like I said, looking forward to to watching it again. I would have reported them. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> All right, and wrapping up, if you could have any one superpower, what would it be? Invisibility. Um, <laughs> because because I you know I think the the the, the writer in me has always been sort of like a a, a student of human behavior. Like I can sit in a room and listen to people talk and watch the way they interact. That is inherently interesting to me. The the, the things that people say and don't say and and all that. So I think to be to actually be invisible and literally be like a fly on the wall 
and observe the things that that people say and do when they think they're by themselves um would would be interesting all right all right Okay, well, thank you. You have survived the interview segment and rocked the brap segment. You know, please <laughs> let the internets know where they can find you at. You can find me on Twitter uh, at my name. It's at Eric Haywood. You can also find me uh, on Instagram, once again, at uh, Eric Haywood. Okay, well, thank you, Eric. Thank you for joining us tonight here on Fanbro's show. Thank you. I had a great time. All right, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more Fanbro's. <laughs> Universal FanCon is a brand new convention coming to the Baltimore Convention Center in April of 2018. FanCon will be a round-the-clock event featuring comics, cosplay, gaming, celebrity guests, music, and more with a focus on diversity and inclusion. Get your tickets now at UniversalFanCon.com because geek is universal. Welcome back, fan bros, and gotta give a big shout out and thank you to Eric Haywood for joining us tonight. Yet another amazing interview. I know, I know, I know. I, know. We, I mean, you know, I ain't got to talk about it. You can just look at the SoundCloud. You know, if you're not subscribed already, you should be because we have been dropping nothing but fire in 2017, and it's gonna continue on. So make sure you're subscribed on SoundCloud, iTunes. Head over to YouTube, follow the Loudspeakers Network, follow Fanbro's show, wherever, you know, anywhere. And now, it's time for The Guac is Extra. Oh yeah, I love hearing those drums. Every week, them drums be kicking. Bitch, shouts to Superbad Larry. But our first question is from Outcast, not the group. Kind of random. There's been a myriad of different adaptations of X-Men over the years. What are some of your all-time favorites? The animation, 100%. I didn't knew you were going to say that right away. It's like... (laughs) What I mean, that's what that's what I know. That's my bread and butter. Fox Kids. That was my ish. Like that's what that's that is what made me love the whole mutant situation and really even get into the world of comics before I even knew it was the world of comics. Absolutely animation. All right, did you ever play the video games that were in the arcades back yeah. then? I, I play. I would. I would play the. Um, there was like like there was like in an old store. Like there was an arc. They had they had like a real old arcade cabinet. I got to play that now. I mean, that was cool, whatever. But I really, the cartoons is really what was hitting for me. All right, all right, yeah, I, I gotta agree with you there. It's probably the cartoons, the video games, and he also mentioned the two thousands video games, like the X Men Legends joints. Those were some. Of, those oh. were super ill. Definitely some of my favorites right there. I mean, I, I like the mobile games or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like the, but the, but I'm talking about the games that have come out like recently, like in the last three years type of stuff. And no, yeah, I definitely rock with the old joints from the arcades. And also he mentioned the X-Men Legends from the 2000s. And recently I really like the Wolverine joint, but um, I don't know if they've done anything since then that I'm really messing with like that. Anything else, Tatiana? Yes, from Ad Hicks 24 I, I don't know if I said your Twitter handle right, but they ask, do you like Rogue One or Force Awakens more? Which one do you like? Wow. Yeah. Um, hmm. You know, 
Oh, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. But lately, when I watch Force Awakens, I see why some people hate Finn so much. So, um, I'm going to have to go go Rogue One because of that. Earlier when this question was first proposed, I I really felt like this was a super hard question, but I literally thought about it for two and a half hours straight. I will say Rogue One. I mean, I love Force Awakens. Force Awakens made me a super Star Wars fan. But I would say Rogue Run one on the strength with an F of the Darth Vader scene. Mm, mm. This strength. I mean, I, I, and we were there together. We were at the press screening for that. I, I, I don't know if you saw Ben. I mean, there were real ass tears, whole ass tears coming from my eyes after that scene because that was towards the end, or that was towards the end of the movie, or kind of a scene or two right before the end. I mean, I just never experienced that level of of just excitement and just pure satisfaction. It was like I was on a damn roller coaster at Great Adventure. So yes, I will say Rogue One wins strictly off the strength of that scene. Yeah, I have to agree with you there because as much like when when I was in the theater for Force Awakens, it brings back all those old Star Wars memories. You know, it's like you see the Millennium Falcon, you see this, you see that, you know, you see C-3PO, you see Han, you see Princess Leia, you see Luke at the end. So it's all these things. And then I love Rey so much. And I didn't really have that hate for Finn that most people, well, not most people, some people did. And so I love that film. But Rogue One, those last 30 minutes of it leading to that Darth Vader scene are just some of the best to me. Like the hammer ship crashing into the other ship and that whole space battle. And then how it, you know, keeps cutting back and forth to the people, to Urso, I mean, the Jen Urso, everybody on the planet and everybody fighting for their lives, and each one, you know, catching them bad ones. And then it leads to Princess Leia at the end, and then it's just like, done, might drop, boom. So, yeah, I, <laughs> I got to go with Rogue One for that one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right, as always, make sure you send in your questions to contact at fanbros.com. Hit us on the Instagram at fanbros show, the Twitter at fanbros show. Leave a comment, you know, hit us with a reply, whatever. We got you. If we didn't get to your question this week, as you can see, we might get to it in weeks to come. So just send them in and chill and wait. Like I said before, make sure you're subscribed, SoundCloud, iTunes, all that good stuff. You'll get this every week in your ear holes. And you know what else you're going to get? Tech Talk with Tatiana. Yes. And in this news, and this news, and this week in tech news, um, WWDC, which is the Worldwide Developers Conference for Apple, just happened a few days ago. I, of course, live-tweeted the event. Basically, that is the major summer event where uh, it's targeted towards developers who develop all the beautiful apps and things you use for all your iOS and macOS devices. The biggest news out of there was Apple revealed the next iOS operating system. That's the system that powers or operates your iPhone iOS 11, which is dropping fall 2017. One of the bigger pieces of news out of that reveal is they are introducing P2P payments, person-to-person payments via messages. What that means is you'll be able to actually pay people and receive payments via the messages app. Oh man, that's gonna be so awesome! I won't even have to. I won't have to go into another app to harass people for my money. <laughs> <laughs> it will be synced to your Apple Pay. So the way that we're so I know some people were nervous, like, well, what happens if my phone gets stolen? It's the same situation as when you use Apple Pay. You'll need either your fingerprint or a specialized pin. 
um, to activate the payment. So it's not like anybody could just pick it up and just use it and send money willy nilly. That being said, when I had tweeted about it, I saw tons of mentions in my timeline of people going to use it for scamming. <laughs> so <laughs> wait, 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 they were adding you and being like, y'all about to scam with this Tatiana. Basically, they were like, "Oh, I'm about to get these men together." Or, "Oh, I'm about to get this girl together." Like, 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 really? It was just, it, it, it was just petty, just nonsense. But I, lo- I live for it. I thought it was hilarious. Um, <laughs> um, obviously, a lot of the apps are going to get a lot of updates and refreshes. Um, messages are not going to sync across your Apple devices. Before it's a little bit wonky. There's going to be some Apple Maps updates and the App Store is going to be updated as well because they've never updated the the store look in quite a while. Um, there are some iMac Pro updates, which the new iMac Pro is starting at 4000 Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Don't even say it. What? Yeah. Um, MacBook Pro updating, uh, pricing has been updated. There is also an iPad Pro refresh. The smallest one will now be 10.5 inches and will start at 64 gigabytes of memory. And the biggest surprise, maybe some people don't think it was a big deal, but the biggest surprise out of the conference of out of the keynote was the Apple HomePod. Those are the Apple speakers slash personal assistant that Apple has revealed to essentially be a competitor to Amazon Echo and Google Home. I'm down for that because I still never got on Amazon Echo and I, I want something like that. So I'm an Apple head. So you know. Are you going to pay $349? Hell, fuck no. I'm about to give well, my is. Echo up in here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the cheapest Echo costs 50 bucks. Yeah. So the Echo dot. Uh, so, uh, I mean, yeah. uh, what's more important to you? Um, and there's a lot more Apple news. Um, again, I like tweeted it. I will wrap it all up into... Uh, Storify or something and put it up on the site for everyone to see. All right. And one more thing I do want to mention is also Apple related. Bazama St. John, who um, was previously at Apple, she was head of music. She is now going to be the chief brand officer for Uber. This is huge because Bazama is a black woman and she got a lot of praise and people like immediately fell in love with her when she was at um, the Apple. I believe she did the fall event last year. And people like was like, oh, oh, snap, you know, she's dope. She's this, she's that, whatever. Well, she's now leaving Apple and it's just huge that she's going with Uber, considering Uber has gone through the most chaotic time of their history. She says that she firmly believes that Uber is at a, a major turning point um, that is in, it's integral to uh, the culture, if you will, and that, you know, her whole job is to turn that ship around. Sounds good. And I mean, Uber definitely needs some inclusion work over there. So, ooh, yeah. And I just love her name, though. Bosma St. John. Like, that's an amazing name. Shout out to you. And that's it for tech news. All right. That's <laughs> what I was waiting on because now it's Sorry. time for Comics <laughs> Icon. Yeah, big intro in. Uh, well, I, I would say it's a slow week, but that's a lie. Because the new Walking Dead just dropped. If you're reading Walking Dead, last month was a huge, huge, major issue. I will not give away the spoilers. I don't think I spoiled it before, but it was a heartbreaker. It was definitely, you know, painful. And this one is, you know, kind of picking up the pieces and kind of an epilogue to the big action of the last few months. So definitely a good issue. Also, this week, Noble Number Two from Lion Forge Comics is in stores. 
That's right. You know what it is. Noble number two. It's the new series from Lion Forge. You know, the Catalyst Prime universe is kicking off. Bitch out to Joe Illich. If you're not reading Noble, you need to read it. This issue actually showcases more of Noble's wife, who is a Noble is the superhero lead of the series, and his wife. Like, it's revealed in this issue that seems to be a badass all her own. Like, she's a secret agent, James Bond type. And so this issue is her going looking for Noble and finding out what happened to him and how he got these fantastic powers. So, you know, we're still building. It's still just the second issue. Very good so far. I'm definitely enjoying it. So check that out. Also, Black Bolt number two from our friend Saladin dropped and I can't recommend this book enough. Like, right now, this is my pit to be the sleeper hit of the year. Like, how Vision was the sleeper hit last year. It's definitely going to be Black Bolt mm-hmm. so far from Marvel. Like, just excellent work. Another great issue. I can't wait to see where this is going. But the big news this week is Batman number 24 by Tom King, you know, the writer of Vision, Omega Men, drops. And Bruce Wayne proposes to Selena Kyle, the Catwoman. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, like Wow. Yeah. Like proposing. Is this the first time? Oh hell yeah. This is definitely the first time this has ever happened. I don't I'm not I think Bruce proposed to somebody before in the Morrison run, but she was a random character and and she I think she was dunned off by the end of that. So this is the first time like he's actually proposed to Catwoman, definitely, and you know, like a major character who's been around for years, so yeah, and the Tom King series by, I mean, the Batman series by Tom King has been really good. It's 24 issues in now, so that's like two years worth of material, and it's just been great, you know, all through it. It's it's not as good as Vision to me or Omega Men, maybe because it's longer, but it's just a really good story. And the next month kicks off a another series within the series called The War of Jokes and Riddles, where it's the Joker versus the Riddler. Mm. yeah so tom king's doing great work on batman definitely check it out like i said also black bolt number two noble number two walking dead also out this week there's more from marvel and secret empire um yeah like oh don't give it away then i know i mean it's just bad like i I don't want to dog stuff that i like you know but like (laughs) they put out it why not (laughs) like yeah uh, we gotta talk to Axel Alonso, man. We 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 need to talk to people of Marvel right now. Cause they, Damn, son, is that bad? I, I'm just really wondering what is going on right now. Like, it's just uh, some. There's just too many good comics out there for stuff like this to be being published from a major publisher right now. And then for them also to turn around and put out something as great as Black Bolt. So it's weird, you know. It's like just don't know what's going on over there anymore. Um, and some other movie news that's related to comics that I'm really hype about. And I, I, this is like, this is one of those things I just can't believe that's happening. They're making a Black Cat and Silver Sable movie. Like, nobody knows, barely anyone knows who Black Cat is. Well, I'm about to say, I'm not really familiar with those characters, so why is that a big deal? Because nobody knows who they are. <laughs> like, how is this being made? That's so incredible. And Gina prince Bifewood. The writer Ooh. and director of Love and Basketball and producer and director of several episodes of Shots Fired is directing this joint. Like, I'm just amazed. Like, we live in this age where, you're, you know, you're seeing a black woman direct a film about two minor-ass Spider-Man characters. Like, 
maybe she'll do it so well that they don't be that minor anymore. Oh, no, they could definitely be huge after this because they're great characters. They're just minor, you know, in the books, but they could definitely be huge. This could be very interesting. I don't know how they're going to pair them up, what the story's going to be about. Who would you wow. cast as Black Hat and, and Silver Sable? Ooh, I don't know. That's a good one. I would go with, um, I don't know if she's the best choice, but uh, Shorty from um, Edge of Tomorrow. So, yeah, Emily Blunt. Yeah, I'd go with her for that. Yeah, Emily Blunt for that. And For, for who? Silver? For Silver. For Black Cat, okay. I don't know. Hopefully they, they open it up, you know, and don't just cast white women because both of these characters are white women in the books. So hopefully they just open it up and let anyone go at it because I'd love to see a well, black black cat might be too on nose. That. Oh, you have you have brought the wrath upon yourself. I'm just I'm just letting you know you have brought the wrath the upon black, yourself. Black cat. Why not? Yeah. Here it comes. Here yeah. it comes on Twitter. Good luck, Ben. I mean. All right. Anything else before we get out of here tonight, Tatiana? Make sure that you guys are subscribing to Fan Bros Show. That means going to SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, whatever service you use to get your podcast. Make sure not only are you listening to us on those services, that you're, but you're actually subscribed to us. Make sure that you leave comments on these areas. We read the comments. Make sure you leave ratings for us. We read those ratings. No, for real. For real. There's a pause on that one. Pause on that one. Hit up iTunes. Leave a comment on iTunes. Leave a rating because that's how we move up in the ratings on iTunes. That's how more people notice us. That's how we get more of this greatness to you. So go to iTunes right now. Subscribe. Hit that five star. Leave a rating. Leave a comment. You ain't even got to hit five star. If you don't feel that we need a five star, don't do it. But make sure you subscribe and leave that comment. In addition, your comments help us be better. It help us get greater. It help us make sure that we are providing what you guys need in this world of geekdom. So your your feedback definitely matters. So please let us know how you feel. Hit us up on social media as well, at Fambro Show. We're at Fambro Show across services. Hit up our Fambros TV YouTube page. We type in Fambros TV in your browser. Fambros YouTube will pop up. There are Dope, dope videos up there. Shouts to Uncolored Page. And also shouts to all of the new contributors that are on fanbros.com right now doing reviews and recaps of all the shows you love. Check that out. There's a lot, a lot of stuff coming up this summer. Y'all are not freaking ready right now. I'm telling you now, stay tuned. Word up. And thank you to everyone, like Tatiana said, all our new subscribers, all our new contributors. If you would like to join the mission and help us out, if you feel like you have any talent at all that can contribute to this Fan Bros mission, make sure you hit us up, contact at fanbros.com. Send us an email. Let us know how you'd like to contribute, and we will work you in. You can be one of us, one of the great ones. One of us, one of us. And one last thing, gotta say it. Happy Born Day to the late, great Prince Rogers Nelson. Adore is still the greatest song ever made. Fan Bros! F-A-N-P-R-O-S for all nerds.